Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Happy Friday, April 2nd, everyone. This is the Inside the Gamecocks podcast with J.C. Sherbert. Good to be with you today. Lots to get to around Gamecock land. Uh, thank you for joining. Had a good episode yesterday. Lots of mailbag questions. Mailbag's a little light today, but we've got plenty to talk about. Uh, once again, if you do have a mailbag question, uh, you can tweet to at the Big Spur Pod on Twitter, or you can go to our mailbag inbox inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. And uh, we'll certainly uh, get to you. And um, I answer all of the questions uh, that you guys send in to me. Uh, right off the top, interesting note from the Columbia media market. My friend Teddy Hefner was supposed to have Frank Martin on the show, on his show today. Uh, and all of a sudden comes back and says, I apologize, but Frank Bart- Martin has been forbidden by the school to join me on air. Um, wasn't scheduled to talk about what's going on with his contract. Was just going to talk about his thoughts on the final four. Uh, he's done similar radio appearances in recent weeks across the country, but was not allowed to join Teddy today in the local Columbia market. So uh, again, this sort of reinforces what I've been told. It, it's, it's a situation where I don't, I just don't think there's been a resolution yet to this thing. Um, and uh, like I said, uh, I've said this here and uh, on Keith's podcast, locked on the Gamecocks yesterday and on JB and Goldwater. Uh, behind the scenes, you know, the, the thing I keep being told is don't expect a resolution until after the women's tournament's over uh, or whatever. Uh, now, I don't think that USC is foolish enough to prevent their men's basketball coach from going on a radio show because they don't want to overshadow what the women are doing. I'd be very surprised if that was the PR move. Um, And I don't really know why they said that that Frank couldn't go on Teddy's show. But, uh, you know, that's just kind of how it is. And uh, it's interesting and unfortunate because, I mean, this this thing's become – and, look, I'm I'm one of these people that, hey, I'm going to give – leadership the benefit of the doubt a lot of the times because I think a lot of times guys like Ray Tanner and Bob Caslin the board of trustees they they're these boogeymen that people want to blame things on based on outcomes of games um and things like that uh you know I, I was very clear that I didn't have a problem if they didn't want to make a change that you know you give Frank Martin a little time to how to get a soft landing somewhere uh because I think he deserved that respect quite frankly but at this point, it's become sort of a fiasco. Uh, and, and when you do things like don't let him talk, <laughs> then that ends up being a situation where you look like you're, 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 you're doing something behind the scenes that maybe you're not even doing. So uh, I don't know whose call that was. Uh, I don't know what happened there. But I'm just saying it doesn't look good. And Red doesn't really like it either, obviously. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, on, on that end, he uh, he barks. I don't know why we don't understand that, you know, we can't let the other dog around him while I'm recording, but that's that's neither here nor there. Um, 
so heading into the weekend, I don't know what's going to happen. And I, I, I'm not even going to put a time frame on it because nobody really knows what the deal is and what's going on. You know, what has to be agreed to uh, with regards to the two parties. I, I just think it's, it's completely up in the air right now. Um, and I think this thing has lingered way too, too long. Uh, you know, I, I, like I said, I was pretty patient for a while. Uh, but now it's it's become a, a gigantic fiasco, uh, you know, and, and obviously the how politicians getting involved never helps. Um, but it's become a gigantic fiasco. And, and I don't, I don't want to say embarrassing because, you know, you don't really know. But, but what this does is this feeds narratives. Uh, it feeds the narrative that nobody knows what they're doing at South Carolina. It feeds the narrative that nobody's on the same page. Uh, it feeds these narratives that uh, – you know, are, are unfortunate and narratives that quite frankly, a lot of people like myself included have fought hard uh, to sort of dispel because a lot of them aren't true and they're based on BS. But, but when you have something tangible like this to point to, you know, the, the naysayers and everybody else, I mean, they're going to, they're going to get on you for it. I mean, that that's the bottom line. Uh, and, and you look at kind of what recently, you know, between this and the, the 9,000 seat cap, uh, for the spring game, which people say that's because of, uh, or the official word is because of the parking situation, because Gamecock Park is a vaccination site for COVID-19. Well, I, you know, last I checked, there's uh, plenty of parking outside of Gamecock Park around Williams-Brice Stadium. I, I personally kind of think it's because they didn't want to open the open, staff, the upper decks. And if you, if you want to go to 15 or 20, you have to, with social distancing, you have to open the upper deck. Um, just like they did during the regular season. So I, I kind of think that has something to do with it too. That's, that, that's speculation on my part. But uh, between that and this, you know, it, it's just not a good look. You know, it's not a good look. And, you know, with regards to the spring game attendance, what people want to know automatically is why is Clemson letting in 19,000 and South Carolina only nine? Um, and the only answer you've gotten is from a marketing uh, person, Eric Nichols, who I like and respect on Twitter, uh, that said it's because of the parking situation and people can sniff through that. <laughs> so, 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 all right. So, so I, yeah, I, and like I said, I, I defend Ray Tanner against a lot of stuff in the athletics administration against a lot of stuff. that's not their fault. Um, you know, I, I think there's some, you know, quite frankly, some made up stuff out there uh, about the athletics department and under Tanner's leadership. That's not fair and not true, but, I mean, how do you defend this? I don't know. You know, I, I think there needed to be kind of a statement or somebody on the record about why, you know, Clemson gets twice as many people. And you have to understand, too, the – I don't want to say the politics of it, but the the attitudes and feelings uh, about COVID restrictions and, you know, things of that nature, uh, you know, where, where you're at, uh, I guess – and, and, you know, South Carolina and Clemson are in the same state. Uh, and, you know, it, it just seems kind of tone deaf. And uh, then the fact that the available tickets sold out in two days, it, it kind of shows you the demand was there. Uh, I don't know. You know, I, I, I could uh, I could have gone either way until I read that about the, the parking. And to me, that just didn't make any sense, uh, especially when you're talking not you're not even talking. You're not talking about 80,000. Uh, you're kind of talking about the, uh, you know, you're talking about a, a small group. So uh, even at 20,000. So 
you know, between that and then this Frank Martin thing and the thing that happened with Teddy Hefner's show this morning is another, I mean, you just can't do that. Just let him talk. I mean, you know, it's in your best interest, you know, and Teddy's not an unreasonable person. I mean, he's just going to kind of tell it like it is. And if you told Frank Martin, he couldn't talk on the radio show, then, um, you know, that looks bad because you, you have to be aware of the speculation out there. So I'm just, uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I hate to be critical, but, you know, from a PR standpoint, this does not look good. I've often said University of South Carolina needs uh, institutionally a massive public relations operation similar to a political campaign. Uh, I just think that, you know, you look at some other schools and kind of the way they handle it. And, um, you know, I, I think within the own, within the state of South Carolina, you can go look at a classic example. Uh, and uh, it just doesn't seem to happen. And really, honestly, this has been a problem for 30, 40 years. Since, I was, since I've been on this earth, everybody, you know, the two things you always hear about South Carolina, USC, is, you know, too many politics involved and PR tone deaf. I, it's called an ivory tower approach where, you know, we're the University of South Carolina, so we're, you know, we're going to do whatever. And so I, yeah, I, I don't know. It's disappointing to me, uh, simply from the standpoint of uh, it just doesn't look good for the Gamecocks. You know, the, those those two things that have come up in the last week, and the longer this Frank Martin thing goes without a resolution, the worse it is, because there's more speculation. There, you know, they're supposed to get a commitment on Saturday. Uh, from a transfer, Chico Carter Jr. from Murray State, who uh, played at Cardinal Newman, Columbia kid. Uh, you know, how, how are you supposed to, you know, I don't know. I, I just, I don't know. You know, putting the putting the silencer on Frank Martin to me is just like, wow, don't, you know, if everything's going to be status quo, just go ahead and let him talk. I mean, everybody, you know, say what you want about Frank Martin. He's a great interview. And he knows the game of basketball and uh, is good to get out there and do media. So I, I don't know what happened with all of that, but I think it's the wrong decision to make. So that's uh, that's the uh, men's basketball slash athletic department uh, talk of the day in terms of, um, <laughs> you know, what, uh, what I think about it. And uh, like I said, I guess if they're, waiting until the women are eliminated or win the whole thing, then, you know, that's going to be no later than Sunday. Uh, speaking of the women tonight, uh, they play the Stanford Cardinal. It was four years ago today, according to sports center, uh, that uh, the Gamecock women won it all uh, out in Dallas, Texas uh, against Mississippi state. I remember where I was when that happened. I was in Phoenix for the final four and, you know, when when you book the Final Four trip, you had to go, you had to buy the package. You know, you had to, you had to commit to staying through the championship game, win or lose. So my buddy and I, you know, we went to the game before, and of course, the Gamecocks in a uh, thrilling game, really uh, came back, almost knocked off Gonzaga, didn't quite get it done. I'm still convinced had. The flu bug not hit Sundarius Thornwell because he played well, played his butt off, but wasn't like his dominant self. Uh, I'm still convinced that the Gamecocks probably win that game and honestly probably give North Carolina a pretty good game on Monday had the Gamecocks played at the level they played on. That that wasn't 
that one to super duper Roy Williams, who by the way retired yesterday, uh, in case you guys didn't know. Um, that was his last national championship game. I, I remember watching that team. I watched him against Oregon. They squeaked by by a point, and then watched him against Gonzaga. Gonzaga played horribly. Couldn't couldn't throw it in the ocean. Turned it over a bunch uh, against UNC. It wasn't that UNC played all that great, uh, but I'm convinced that Gamecock team had they beaten Gonzaga and been at full strength, you know, playing like they had during the tournament, they would have given North Carolina a run for their money. I mean, it wouldn't. It was pro- probably would have come right down to the wire. Uh, even though North Carolina had a lot of great athletes, a lot of great players, I, I think, you know, you look back on it, so did Duke, so did Baylor, so did Florida, <laughs> so did Marquette for that matter, so did Gonzaga that year. Uh, so the Gamecocks, uh, that, that'll always be something that I think about. You know, I was talking to my buddy I went to Phoenix with, lifelong friend of mine, and uh, – we were talking and we were like, yeah, I was thinking about that 16 nothing run that the Gamecocks made to take the lead right there at University of Phoenix Stadium and the crowd. And, and he was like, I think about that game every single day, you know. And then, shoot, get up 67 65, that big kid. I don't remember his name, seven foot kid. He's a, he's a shooter. He's like the Ryan Stack of Gonzaga, if you will, for those of you that follow Gamecock basketball in the 90s shoots a three and it looked, it, it was to the point of rolling off the rim that people stood up and cheered around me. And then it kind of was like, bounce back in. They go up 68, 67 game guys get cold. And, uh, you know, then at the end, you know, Carolina tried to get back in it. Couldn't do it. Had a shot to tie, uh, but couldn't get it done. So the game anyway. So I remember where I, the point of all this is I remember I was at a sports bar and because uh, that we had that you had the Sunday and then you had to go to the game Monday. And so the sports bar, uh, I think in Scottsdale, something like that. So me and my buddy, you know, sat there and met a few Gamecock fans that were kind of in the same boat because you couldn't you couldn't just fly back after the Carolina game. You had to buy the whole package, like I said. Uh, and we watched the women play and win the national championship. And that was um, four years ago today against Mississippi State. So. The girls play uh, Stanford um, on uh, on tonight. They play tonight, and I remember too when we arrived in um, Phoenix. The the girls were playing Stanford in the semis, beat them sixty eight sixty two, I think, and a lot of great Gamecock fans there in downtown Phoenix uh, at the sports bar to watch that game. My good friend Rod, shout out to Rod who always listens. I remember he was there. And a bunch of other people that I know. Um, fantastic time. You know, go, going to the Final Four uh, is an amazing experience. I've always heard that from various fan bases. And certainly going out there with the Gamecocks was absolutely tremendous. And, and you know, now that Roy Williams has retired, you know, I can always say I got a chance to – because the Monday game, I mean, we're just kind of sitting there and, you know, he's kind of watching or whatever against Gonzaga. But uh, – you know, the Monday game, the Tar Heels, uh, they won. They, they won the whole thing. And so I can now I can say that I saw uh, Roy Williams win his final national championship. So how about that? So there we go. Um, and so the women ba- women's basketball team plays today. I think it, that tip-off is at 5 o'clock Eastern. I'm hopeful Central time, uh, Eastern time, all that. All right, so, sorry, 6 o'clock. 
p.m. Eastern time uh, at the Alamo Dome uh, against Stanford, uh, ESPN, uh, the real regular ESPN television. Uh, and the Gamecocks will play the Cardinal. They're one and five, but beat them last time uh, up in Dallas in 2017 on the way to the national championship. So uh, the Cardinals 29 and two. Uh, Louisville had them kind of on the ropes last last week, and um, they rallied. I think they scored 52 in the second half. Uh, they're really really good. They're the number one overall seed in the tournament. Um, so it's not going to be easy tonight for the Gamecocks. It should be a heck of a game. And I was talking to Keith yesterday on the podcast, on his podcast, about the women, and, and he made a good point. It's like, you know, at this point, you sort of look at it, and, yeah, the Gamecocks won the whole thing in 2017. Uh, and then, you know, they've been they were the Final Four in 2015 and lost to Notre Dame by a point. But – you know, that, that 2017 tournament, all anybody could talk about was why UConn lost to Mississippi State and had their, you know, streak snapped. Uh, I think when you're at this level as a program, you know, what you want to do is get to the point where you're, you know, people aren't saying that you're benefiting from a, uh, you know, a, an upset on the other side of the bracket. Uh, and if the Gamecocks go through Stanford and win – and let's say Connecticut beats Arizona, who's the that's the other semifinalist, and they're making their first appearance. Uh, and then they beat Connecticut. Uh, I think that does a lot. Not that Dawn Staley and her program have anything to prove, uh, but I think that does a lot on a national level to solidify who you are. Uh, you know, because you've you will have gone through the number one seed in the tournament overall in Stanford, and then obviously everybody in the women's basketball media <laughs> is pulling for uh, UConn to win uh, that game on Sunday and you beat them. Uh, obviously, as we all find out over and over beating UConn is, is like big news, you know, in, in that particular sport. So we'll see what happens again. Sorry, six o'clock. I'm, I meant to say, I meant to do the Eastern time. Sometimes my computer defaults to central. So six o'clock PM tip off at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, South Carolina versus Stanford. Uh, again, a rematch of the 2017 semifinals of the Gamecocks won. Uh, you know, I I think Stanford's really good. I think the Gamecocks are really good. Uh, we'll see who wins. I think the key against Stanford's going to be, in my opinion, to, to not miss as many easy shots as the Gamecocks have been missing. And I'm not trying to break this down or anything. I'm just kind of for what I see. Uh, and also continue to play really good defense. I mean, shutting Texas out in the fourth quarter was – I don't care who you are in basketball. That's impressive. Uh, and they do play – South Carolina does play excellent defense. So, they're going to need it because Stanford can score. So, that's uh, that's tonight's game. Uh, also, baseball. Okay. Uh-oh. Hold on. Oh, my gosh. Do you guys hear that? Freaking Alexa came on. All right. Alexa just gave me the NHL schedule because I said game too loud. Okay. Alexa, stop. Alexa, stop. Okay. Okay. Great. See you next time. Alexa, stop. Ah, all right. 
That's the beauty of the the COVID times. When when everybody's doing everything out of the house, you have these little things going. I apologize for that and the dog. Guys, <laughs> wow. Uh, but anyway, baseball is uh, tonight, six p.m. Again, they they start at the same time the women do. It's SEC Network Plus. Gamecocks in Athens, Georgia. Foley Field has been a house of horrors. The Gamecocks actually have struggled with Georgia in, in baseball uh, over the years. They got swept in 2019, last time these two teams played. Um, Georgia's good. I don't. I wouldn't call them great. I think they're good, though. Uh, certainly capable of beating the Gamecocks and, and all that. But uh, Gamecocks are capable of beating them coming off that sweep against Florida. I thought – yeah, after the sweep against Florida, responding and, and not like having a lackadaisical effort against Gardner Webb was good. You could tell the guys were focused, uh, and so this is important. Uh, you know, you, you look at the next six, uh, eight games before you hit the road to LSU on April fifteenth. You've got at Georgia, North Carolina, and Charlotte, which is always big. So the next four games are against schools that it's always important, regardless of the sport when South Carolina plays them. Uh, and then Missouri comes to town. They're struggling right now. So there's some opportunity uh, sitting with a four and two SEC record to really run that thing up before you hit the road to LSU. Then you got Arkansas for three. Then you're at Ole Miss for three. And then you're home for Mississippi state for three. There's there's Citadel of North Florida mixed in there. And then you go up to Clemson for the final in that one and then at Kentucky and then Tennessee to round out the season. So uh, the, the, this is a chance to build up your wins because, you know, as Mark Kingston accurately said, you can have a 500 team in the league this year that could go to the College World Series. That's how good and deep the SEC is. So when you're not having to play a top five or ten team, <laughs> uh, you better take advantage of it and not have situations where you, you kind of lose your, your, your track. Uh, so, anyway, Gamecocks in Georgia tonight. Uh, first pitch on Saturday is at 2. Again, SEC Network Plus for all three from Athens. First pitch on Sunday is 1. Uh, by the way, happy Good Friday, everyone. Happy Easter to you and your family. Uh, okay, so all has not been lost as far as, like, good news, uh, you know, if you talk about the Gamecocks. Uh, and, and certainly, if it weren't for this men's basketball fiasco kind of deal, and, and I think at this point, we could probably call it a fiasco just because it's lingered. Um, you, you know, I, I think ideally in college basketball, you, you want to start a coaching search, you know, as soon as possible. And then by the time the final four gets there shortly thereafter, you know, you, you have a decision if there's going to be a change. Now, if there's not, then again, you just move on as is you, you, you kind of, release a statement and uh, squash the speculation, <laughs> if you will, right away. And uh, you get behind your guy because he's got to go recruiting. I mean, th that's just normally in an ideal world how it works. Now we're sitting here in limbo still and, you know, doing things like saying, hey, you know, Frank Martin can't go on with Teddy Hafner. That's just, come on. I mean, that that just fuels fire to the speculation. So, uh, if it weren't for the fiasco there, I think, uh, you know, people would be relatively happy. Baseball is winning. If you like women's basketball, they're obviously contending for a national championship at the Final Four. But 
you know, there's also that little sport called football. Shane Beamer and his group are in the middle of spring practice right now. Uh, they took a break this week from practicing. There's no spring break at Carolina this year because of COVID. Um, but they wanted to give the players kind of a spring breakish time off to, you know, heal their body, get a little bit off the field break and all that. And then, you know, they come back strong uh, next week. And then the spring game is April 24th. Uh, and so Shane decided to do that. And I, I agree with him. I think that's smart. You get your legs under you. Uh, they're still doing media and all that good stuff, still around the building, having walkthroughs and meetings and all that. Uh, but recruiting uh, has also, you know, started to kind of pick up. And the Gamecocks did get a commitment yesterday uh, from three-star offensive lineman Grayson Maines uh, from Suwannee, Georgia, Lambert High School. Uh, good-looking player on film, picked the Gamecocks over – uh, Tennessee and Michigan State, those would be the two schools that were also primarily contenders. Uh, he's ranked as the number 62 offensive tackle in the country, 64 overall prospect in the state of Georgia. Kind of reminds me of, of Alan Knott once Alan Knott got to South Carolina. He's about 6'5", 265, 270-ish, long-armed guy, guy, moves his feet really well. Um Really bends well, uh, you know, could be a tackle, could be a guard, has a nasty streak, um, versatile guy. You know, Greg Atkins, the new offensive line coach, inherited the best situation, I think, depth-wise and talent-wise on the roster. I mean, people are going to say running backs, but, you know, South Carolina, I think, has really good depth at running back and all that, but you know, Eric Wolford left 18 scholarship guys and, and you have a bunch of older players that have played a lot of football that have started a lot of games. And then you also have, uh, when you roll back, you have, um, <laughs> you have younger guys. Like I'm going to tell you, Tyshawn Wanamaker is going to be a player. Trey Jones is going to be a player. Vershawn Lee, who played some last year is going to be a player. All those are second year guys. So, so you got good young talent too, that he left. But, but I admire Greg Atkins for not just kind of, you know, so some guys that don't like to recruit and, and, you know, that's always a concern when you hire a coach, you know, you're like, well, we think he's a good recruiter, but does he, does he really like to recruit? Does he really dig into it? And, you know, guys that don't like to recruit, they're going to sit back and go, man, I got 18 guys. I got all these young players. I'm just going to let it go to camp and I'm going I'm to find some project to sign that'll make me look good because I develop him and whatever. And that's not been the case with Greg Atkins. He's been all over the place. Uh, and look, you can never have too many offensive linemen. Uh, and this kid, Maines, is a good pickup. I think, you know, legitimate SEC, ACC type of offers. Uh, Arizona State's another interesting offer of his. Uh, built They built that relationship. You know, it's close to home. He's a Gwinnett County guy. Uh, those guys tend to – they play at pretty high level uh, at the high school level. And watching this film, I really like him. He may be a little underrated. Uh, at an 87 uh, by 24-7 sports and uh, a mid high mid three-star by the 24-7 sports composite. So uh, big pickup, second commitment of the cycle. Um, and again, you know, these are the types of guys, you know, and I think South Carolina eventually is going to get, you know, four and five-star guys in this class. Maybe not, I don't, maybe not a five-star. I can't point to a five-star right now. Some guy will have to Somebody would have to emerge and get to that point. Um, but, you know, you got uh, Anthony Rose was the first commitment. 
according to 24-7 Sports Composite, he's an 0.8900, which is the highest three-star you could possibly have. If you were an 0.8901 or two, I think you're a four. Uh, you know, out of Hallandale, Florida, he's a six-four safety that'll take your head off. So that's good. And then you got the Grayson Maines kid, and, and, and offensive lineman too. Everybody talks about four and five-star offensive linemen. I, I some of the best offensive lines in the country don't have that. You know, you look even look up at Clemson last year. You know, very very good offensive line for the Tigers, and two of their starters were three-star in-state kids, one from Dorman, one from Daniel. Uh, Offensive line is just kind of what you make of it. And the Gamecocks have signed some highly rated guys. You know, I think, you know, you look at Trey Jones, he was a top 130 player by 24-7 sports. Tyshawn Wanamaker was a four-star for most of the time. He dropped for whatever reason, but uh, he still – that didn't change what kind of player he is. Dylan Wanham obviously was a, a big-time recruit. Ja'Kai Moore uh, – for two of the three major uh, recruiting networks, rated him four stars. I mean, you know, they they Wolford signed some guys that were highly rated, but there's also some guys that, you know, weren't that are pretty doggone good. Joe Von Glenn was a four star guy. He's starting. So, and people always kind of gripe about signing four and five star offensive linemen. I, Gamecocks have signed their share of those, and it, and it's proven over time that you know, the best offensive lines in the country aren't necessarily based on star ratings. Now, Alabama, obviously, uh, they start a bunch of four- and five-star guys up front. And Ohio State, which is located in probably the top talent-producing state for offensive linemen in the country, they're, they're going to start some highly rated guys. But uh, that doesn't necessarily make your offensive line. At O-line and quarterback specifically, it's like, you know – your best players usually end up – there's not a lot of in-between. Your best players end up being like your no-brainer, lock, rock-solid, five-star guys that can't miss. Or they end up being these guys that come out of nowhere. And, uh, and those are the two hardest positions to evaluate, so it's not not that bad. Uh, Gamecocks uh, recruiting ranking is up to 48th nationally, so that was uh, – Mains did allow them to jump up a little bit. Uh, you got two commits now, one out of Florida, one out of Georgia. I'm sure that will continue to rise. Uh, okay, so official visits are going to start happening after June 1st, which is a great thing. I think everybody in college football, college athletics in general is ready for this to happen. Uh, I, I think the NCAA, with, instead of saying, okay, well, you know, we're going we're gonna to try to have some protocols for visits uh, because there's so many different local ordinances and so many different places that you're talking about and so many different uh, rules in the, in the COVID spectrum from the government, you, you sort of uh, you sort of look at it and go, well, um, why don't we just shut everybody down? And, and they're going to take the easy way out. You know, they, they don't. They didn't bother to sit there and form a committee and get everybody on the same page. Because, you know, the, 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 obviously, you know, you're in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Your, your COVID restrictions locally are going to be a lot different than Gainesville, Florida. And so that's why they did it. Uh, I just sometimes wish they would try to find a way around difficult things and, and, and difficult questions at the NCAA, but they don't. And that's fine. So anyway, visits are happening 
Big weekend, June 11th. Uh, four guys already scheduled, including Grayson Maines, who committed. Uh, offensive lineman, here we go. I told you, Greg Atkins, Ryan Brubaker uh, from Pennsylvania, visiting South Carolina. I think, you know, th- this kid's, a, I think, a Penn State guy, comes from a Penn State family. Going to be hard to get away from Penn State, but he's shown a willingness to go south. Um yeah, he said good things about playing ball in the South, good things about Greg Atkins in South Carolina. You know, they're going to make a big push for him. Um, another guy from up in the Northeast, Pete Limbo, has been all over. And Pete Limbo, the special teams coordinator, has been very active in recruiting up and down the East Coast. Uh, he and Justin Stepp on Pete Kikwata from Germantown, Maryland, about a six foot one, 170 pound guy. He's a three star guy, really fast. Uh, they like him a lot. Another wide receiver is Chandler C.J. Smith from Orlando Bishop Moore. And, and I'm going to say this. I, I think I think of the underrated guys out there, th- this guy's almost criminally underrated. He's got Carolina offer, Auburn, Florida's offer, Penn State's offer. I mean, there, there's all these offers. Um, now, that is a school that sometimes, you know, in my experience, I've gone there and, you know, kids have had all these offers and then not necessarily had them. But that was a long time. That was back in 2006, 2007. Um, but you look at this kid, you know, 6'3", 180 pounds, uh, runs, has been timed as fast as 10.5 seconds in the 100 meter. That's flying. That's that's really flying. Uh, Justin Stepp has been recruiting him since he was at Arkansas. Uh, and they had a virtual visit the other day that went really well. Yeah, I, I think the Gamecocks have a shot here. I, I really do. Um, I think that uh, – this is the type of guy you got to go get. Uh, hype be damned well, as far as the the numerical ranking goes. Because I'm going to tell you, I don't, I don't know if too many six foot three hundred eighty pound receivers that look like him on film that run ten five that that are mid three star guys. You know, unless somebody saw him drop a bunch of passes, and he has hands of stone. He's the epitome of what you want at wide receiver. So he's visiting. Uh, and those are the four scheduled then. And then June 25th, going to be a pretty big uh, big time, too. There's three scheduled. The top tight end in the country, Oscar Delp from Cumming, Georgia, Forsyth County. Uh, number one tight end, number two tight end in the country, I think, uh, if you kind of – if you look at the rankings. He's a guy that they – you know, it's tough because, yeah, he is the number one tight end in the country. He's from West Forsyth. Uh, a while back, I used to live near Forsyth County, the early part of the 2000s. There was no West Forsyth. There was North Forsyth and South Forsyth and Forsyth Central. Central. So now I think there's a there's a West and an East. That's a growing part of, of Northeast Georgia. Um, Georgia is a very strong player for him. Uh, he's good friends with Gunnar Stockton. But grandparents live in Columbia, grew up a Gamecock fan. Eric Kimry's been working him. Uh, I think you take a puncher's chance there. Uh, and, and I think the Gamecocks do have a puncher's chance uh, with him. And, and I think ultimately it probably will come down to Georgia and South Carolina at the end of the day. Uh, and, and that's exciting. I mean, you know, and, and I think too, you know, look, I'm going to say this. If they can get this thing to the season, right, South Carolina this year on the field is going to be – I mean, they're going to use their tight ends a lot and H-backs a lot. 
Uh, and a lot of tight ends, you know, they, they, they like blocking and all that, but they want the football too, you know. And so any kind of system that utilizes them, you know, you, you can see where for an Oscar Delp watching the Gamecocks play, if EJ Jenkins and Nick Muse and, uh, and, and Jaheim Bell and, and Kevion Mullins and maybe Eric Shaw, who knows, they're all catching passes and, you know, a big part of the offense, then you can kind of see where that would be attractive. Um, you know, and I know Georgia historically uses the tight end really well, so nothing against them and what they do. But that's going to be another selling point. Um, like I said, going to be tough to beat the Bulldogs on him. Uh, but that's uh, – he's got an official visit, and he's coming in, and he's a national-level recruit. And, you know, credit Eric Kimry, uh, even if he doesn't get him, for, for really getting Carolina right there and, and getting him thinking. Uh, another guy coming in, four-star defensive tackle, Dominic James from IMG Academy. I'm, I think it's a uh, – it's a uh, miracle. <laughs> Carolina's getting a visit from anybody from IMG. I think that's that's pretty good. Dominic is a uh, four-star guy. National uh, ranking is 201st in the country, number 14 defensive tackle. Originally from Prattville, Alabama. Uh, Ohio State is a big factor here, but the Gamecocks are up there too. I don't know what about the in-state Alabama schools, but this this guy kind of reminds me of Taylor Stallworth a little bit, but obviously he's ranked a lot higher than Taylor was coming out. Uh, right now listed 6'2", 270, but room to grow, long-armed guy. Jimmy Lindsay's recruiting him. Uh, and so Dominic James could be a guy that, to keep an eye on when he comes in for his visit. And then I, I thought this was interesting. Uh, you know, Bobby Bentley – did a really good job of recruiting the state of Tennessee when he was at South Carolina. It was kind of a one-man band up there, so I, I didn't know if the Gamecocks would make moves up there or not. But Torian Gray, uh, South Carolina's defensive backs coach, has uh, the Gamecocks getting a visit from Diarco Perkins McAllister from Stratford Comprehensive in Nashville. Nashville's a really good place for emerging football talent, folks. It, uh, uh, I've lived there twice in the last 20 years. Uh, from the time I moved there in 2004 to the time I left there for the final time in 2015, that decade, uh, there's probably six times the amount of high-level talent. I'm not going to say Power Five, but I'll go FBS, Division One, if you will. Um, go FBS because Division One's FCS too, but probably six times the amount of FBS talent in the greater Nashville area. I'm including Murfreesboro, Hendersonville, uh, Smyrna, all those places, the towns that surround the greater Nashville area. But this guy's from Nashville proper. Uh, number 40 safety in the country right now per 24-7 sports composite. You kind of look at the teams. Uh, Tennessee is in the mix. Oklahoma is in the mix. Ole Miss is in the mix. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, and I, I would look at this and, and, and say this. Uh, of all the teams, okay, I think um, I think that Oklahoma, you know, and Ole Miss probably have, uh, you know, a little bit more, I guess, sizzle than University of Tennessee uh, I, I, right now. And, and, and just knowing Nashville, Ole Miss is sort of 
you know, you just go to – it's really not that much further to Ole Miss than it is to Knoxville from Nashville. It's uh, 178 miles uh, from Knoxville to Nashville. And then I think Nashville to Memphis is like one, one, 180, 190, and then Oxford's right, basically right there down the road from Memphis. So, you know, Lane Kiffin and his group, thats uh, those are the kind of guys who they're going to try to pluck out of Tennessee. And then Oklahoma, obviously – has had some good success uh, going into Middle Tennessee and getting players. So uh, you got to get on the plane to go to Norman, but uh, I think you can fly southwest to Oklahoma City to OKC from BNA, the Nashville Airport. So Perkins McAllister, that's another guy. So this is quality, you know, of these guys, and, and I forgot to add this kid in, Jalen Glover from Lake Gibson High School in Lakeland, Florida. Uh, he's a guy, Torian Gray. Uh, has been on, uh, obviously, Mon- he's a running back, so Montario Hardesty is also involved. You know, right now, I, I I think he'll visit. Florida State is a favorite on the crystal ball. I've, uh, I've predicted him there just based on what I've heard. Uh, Florida State's also got his teammate. Uh, I think uh, – you know, I think we'll see what happens uh, as far as that goes. But uh, you never know. I mean, he, he's a he's a five seven, two hundred pound running back, so he's low, low center of gravity. Uh, maybe somebody backs off because of his height or whatever. I think he's a hell of a player, um, really good on film, and, and a guy that I think could make a lot of good things happen at South Carolina. So he's visiting uh, on the eleventh. I forgot to tell you that because uh, he's a recent addition to the list. So that's five on the 11th and then three on the 25th for right now. And so that's, uh, that's the deal there. And uh, a nice balance of guys, guys from the Northeast guys out of Florida. I think, I think Florida right now, if you're the Gamecocks with the North Carolina situation, right? I think Florida is a place you could probably do, more in than the Gamecocks have been doing. Uh, plus, Torian Gray's got a lot of uh, a lot of connections down there. Um, obviously, Justin Stepp recruited down there at Arkansas. You know, Shane Beamer's recruited. I mean, they've all everybody's got some ties to the state of Florida. I, and, and, and there's a dynamic happening there now where guys are leaving that state more than they used to. Then you, you also have the fact that the quote unquote Big Three. I think they like to think very highly of themselves and go out of state sometimes and chase stars. And then they miss guys that, you know, cause you can't rate every kid in Florida, a four-star um, five-star, you know, and, and, and then you see, so you get the high three-star from Florida and he ends up being much better than the other guys. I mean, I always think back to Rashad Fenton versus Mark Fields. Now, now Mark Fields was a guy that, uh, was very highly rated out of North Carolina, um, deservingly so. Uh, ended up signing with Clemson, had a decent career. And then say what you want about Rashad Fenton, you know, he was a mid-three-star they beat Louisville on. He ended up having a really good career at Carolina. Uh, you know, the end probably didn't end as well as you thought, you'd, you'd hoped. Uh, but he's still playing for the Chiefs and then the NFL. Uh, and so sometimes, you know, the Florida versus – you know, maybe a four-star in another state works out well for you, especially now. You know, it's not a situation where, you know, 
they've got a fence around the state or whatever. And you kind of look at schools like UCF that have out evaluated their big brothers and have better teams and stuff like that and and all that. So I, I kind of like the fact that Gamecocks are trying to get back into Florida a little more than they did under Muschamp, where honestly, honestly, if, if you want to get right down to it, you look at the mistakes that were made at receiver uh, under the previous staff. And I mean, man, I, you'd have been better off just going to South Florida and getting, you know, who, who are the guys that want to go to, that are going to West Virginia or wherever, you know, trying to pick those guys off because I think you'd have had a lot more speed and skill had you done that. So anyway, that's the recruiting report uh, from the world of football uh, and all that. Like I said, no uh, mailbag today, but that's fine. So we'll get you out of here a little early on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Once again, uh, questions, tweet to at the Big Spur Pod, email inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. If, you haven't, if you're not subscribed, uh, a lot of people listen, don't subscribe. Hit that subscribe button on Apple Pods. Be sure to rate us five stars, leave a review. Uh, that's always helpful in terms of getting us ranked and noticed and all that good stuff. And the more you do that, the more you get noticed, uh, the more uh, money this enterprise could possibly make. And so then that means more episodes and more content for you. So you benefit by taking that uh, five minutes and going and doing that. So, and I certainly appreciate all of you that have. All right. So hopefully, you know, by the time I talk to you next, maybe there'll be some resolution one way or the other on men's basketball. Uh, maybe the Gamecocks will have a national championship in women's. Maybe the baseball team will be seven and two. Uh, we all hope for those things. Uh, happy Easter weekend to every one of you and your family. I certainly appreciate all of you that listen and read and write, even those of you that I don't agree with. Uh, I, I consider you awesome people and, uh, you know, I'm blessed to do what I do. And, you know, this is a, this is a great weekend. Uh, every single year, Easter weekend, we all know the meaning of that. All right, folks, signing off Gamecocks inside the Gamecocks podcast. Everyone have a great weekend.